purple elephant shower thought of the day. Light bulbs are such a good idea that they became the symbol for good ideas. Cue light bulb theme song. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Today's episode is a solo episode. Now, that doesn't mean there's going to be any less value in listening to it. In fact, I think this will be the most valuable episode I've produced so far. But you have to stay with me for a minute or an hour. I need you to forget everything you know about making money as a content creator. And just listen with an open ear for one hour. Now, I'm going to speak with absolute confidence because I think I'm right, but that doesn't mean that I am. You should always take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I still want you to listen. Today's episode has been titled Free Economics Adjusted for Creativity or Creators. I don't know which one I'm deciding on yet, but the free economy is vital to understand as a content creator. Now, obviously, the the easy example is Google. We get to search the internet for free. YouTube, we get to watch videos for free. And for every content creator, almost always at the beginning, and most likely for a long time after, the stuff that you're producing and sharing with the world is given out for free. Now, that becomes more true as we get deeper into the digital age, but the, the nice thing, the nice thing about having Google and having YouTube and having Anchor so I can produce this podcast for free is that the threshold to produce stuff, to get stuff out, has never been cheaper. You know, I paid for a microphone and a H4N Zoom recorder, but... When it comes down to it, I could be recording this on my phone with the headphones that Apple gives out. So the threshold to produce things is almost free. And the people who consume these things are most likely getting them for free. So what does that mean for you, the content creator? Are you fucked? Is there no hope of making any money off of what you do? Or I think even worse is imagining that there's only the opportunity to make money if you have millions and millions of followers. Because for most people, for me, that feels like trying to win the lottery. Or more likely, try to win the stock market. Because I guess you can put a little bit of science and growth hacks into it. But it still feels like such a difficult goal that it almost makes me question if it's worth striving for. If there's a better way to earn money or earn a living making art, making great things, making stuff that inspires people. And I think there is, or else I wouldn't be making this episode. So I've read four books that I think very much so relate to this. 
Now, you don't need to read every book that I talk about because I'm going to try to sum it up, suck the practical information out of it and convert it to even more practical information for a content creator, for an artist, musician, you know, podcaster. And the books are Zero to One, Blue Ocean Strategy, Free, and The Icarus Deception. A lot of these books, which are focused on growing and being different and making money this way or that way, seem to follow this pattern of focusing on technology companies, on software and hardware innovators. And while I think they tell a story in how they made their millions and billions, I also think it's hard to convert that to something like an artist or at least a content creator. Because while I think the artist may not ever focus on the money, I think the content creator finds a balance between making stuff that inspires, making art, and also thinking about how can they do this full time. So that's why I, I, I use the terms interchangeably, but I think in my opinion, what I do is I strive to be a content creator where I think about making passionate, important art and also thinking about how can I maintain this? How can I do it so that I don't have to waste 40 hours a week working in some shithole office doing a job I don't want to do? A job that I know I'm not contributing my best work, my most important work. And that's kind of the goal of Purple Elephant, of Purple Elephant Collective, is that I want to prove with my own actions, with my own results, that it is possible. But I'm, I'm getting a little sidetracked. The free economy. I'm going to start with the book Free. This is where I was introduced to this idea, this term, Freakonomics. And I think it perfectly sums up where the digital age is, and even more so where it's heading. Google is the obvious example. They have their free search engine. They have free Gmail, Google Docs, Google Drive. And these are products that are immensely valuable. They're not cheap by any means. And yet they're free to all of us. And so Google's proven that a company can be worth billions by creating products that are free for the consumer, for the end user. But so then how do they make their money? They make it from Google Ads. And this is the interesting thing about the internet, is that they don't make their money with 10 huge clients. They make it with tens of thousands of small businesses. And I think they show something really important. Focus on the Fortune 5 million companies. 
the companies that are smaller, that we may not know their name, that we may not recognize their brand. Those are the people willing to dip their toes in the water of digital advertisements because it is so cheap to get into it. So I think if you are planning on doing something where your content, you want to create a a platform, a space for advertisers, focus on those 5 million, Fortune 5 million companies. And I think that's way more possible than you think. When we talk about the digital realm, the reason that everything can be free is because there's no shelf space anymore. A blog can have more words, more pages, more links than even the biggest book ever printed. And it can do it without, with hardly slowing down the speed of its site if it's done properly. Amazon can have every book you could possibly imagine, plus all the ones you didn't even know existed. They can have those all on their website because they don't have a physical shelf space. They don't have to buy the book and put it on up in a store. They only have to buy the book when you, the the consumer, the end user, purchases it on their site. Now, I think that's a very, very smart way to make a living. And now just a little side note is that that's becoming even more possible for content creators. I, I set up my clothing store, and it's not very successful, and that's not the point. But the point is that I use a site called Printful. No, I mean, of course they're not sponsored. But what Printful allows you to do is create the designs, create the mock-up images, and you don't have to pay or ship the product yourself. You only get charged for the product when someone on your site pays for the product. Then they make the clothing and they ship it. Obviously from my end, it's not the most profitable way to, to start a clothing company. But that takes 100% of the risk off of me. I don't have to invest any money into buying clothes until I make a sale. And I think we're going to see more of that, more of those types of products where the manufacturer makes it as it is ordered. As we get more uh, 3D printers and circulation and we can use those more easily, we won't have to have a, a big warehouse Small companies won't have to buy hundreds and hundreds of their products. They just have to create the brand, create the marketing, but they don't have to put any money up front. So that makes the threshold for finding ways to make money easier, but at the same time when everyone has the ability to make their own clothing company, no clothing company is special. Or the only clothing companies that are special are the ones that have existed for decades and centuries. Levi's jeans aren't going to be overrun by some new kid on the block. Because they are established. 
However, there is a place for the, the new jeans. There is a place for the new brand. And this is what it comes down to. When we talk about creating products, creating brands that no one's heard of, the only way they're going to sell is if the personality behind the brand has been established themselves. And that's easier than trying to start a faceless business. Content creators have the advantage of showing their face on screen, of being sincere, or however sincere you can really be on camera. But they have that ability, something that the big companies don't really have. Even if the CEO of a huge company like General Motors started a vlog, it wouldn't feel genuine. Because they came to the game too late. We know why they're, they'd be doing it. However, the, the podcaster, the YouTuber who starts before money is involved, we know that there is some sense of sincerity in what they're making because they did it before the money. And that's why I think they have this authenticity that the established companies can never replicate. Even Wendy's, whose uh, Twitter is, is awesome, and they do such a creative job with that, I really don't think they can ever be that down to earth. Okay, but let's move off of that for a little bit, move off of that riff. I want to talk about kind of the, this meta idea of abundance and scarcity. When the internet was invented, when Google made it easy for websites to be searched, when YouTube made it easy for videos to be posted, we became an information-rich world. We became abundant in information. Whereas before, we didn't have all this information, but we had an abundance of time. So now... Now that the information-rich world has taken over, attention has become scarce. We have more content than anyone could consume in a lifetime. Like, a way more content. I don't have the statistics, but it's an uncomprehendable amount of content that we have. So, when we have a wealth of information and we have a poverty of attention because no one knows where to look anymore we have this decision paralysis what i see what i've seen arise in is these productivity hacks these saving time hacks but i think of those as like 100 calorie snacks you think you're doing something good for yourself when you read a listicle about 10 ways to save time or to detox from the internet. But then you read those for an hour or two hours or three hours, and you're not better off than you were before. In fact, I would say you're worse off because you have this false sense of doing something good for yourself when really all you did was waste time in another way. 
But when you have these rise of productivity and quick hacks and all these trends about stopping social media, when we have an abundance of those trends, I think we have a scarcity of meaning. We have a scarcity of wisdom. And that's where I think we are right now. That's where I think content creators can really innovate and really bring value is in wisdom and meaning and not only sharing meaning but showing how someone can create meaning themselves. I, I recently read Man's Search for Meaning and I made a Purple Elephant Thoughts video about that but I didn't really get to go in depth into it. Now, Viktor Frankl explains in the book that there are three ways to find meaning in one's life. And what he's very careful to emphasize is that he's not talking about a broad, overarching meaning. He's not talking about a meaning that can be summed up in one sentence to describe your whole life's purpose. He doesn't deny that that exists, but he, he says he wants to focus on something more con concrete and specific. Now, the three ways to find meaning are, one way is to, to give something, to share something, to do something for others, for the world, to create. I think right now in my life, that's what I'm doing. That's where I'm getting my meaning. Now, the second way is experience which I once thought when I read this book a while back, I thought experience meant, okay, seeing something beautiful, going to a, a remote island and just looking at it and being stuck in a state of wonder. And when that's part of it, the other part of experience is experiencing emotions. He describes love as a meaningful emotion, an emotion you can derive meaning and purpose from. And he goes on to say that the reason love can be meaningful is because we can get a sense of meaning by coaching or um, supporting other people as they give and do and create great things for the world. It's like the coach of the greatest tennis player. They don't derive their meaning from winning because they're not playing. They derive their meaning from coaching and teaching the winners. And I can very easily see how that's just as meaningful. But the third way, and this way is so important, and this is why Viktor Frankl wrote the whole book. And for those who don't know, he was in a concentration camp during World War II and he survived kind of using these principles that he writes about in the book. And the third way is living through suffering, to find meaning in suffering. And while I think a lot of people are in this weird limbo where they're comfortable enough, but they feel like they're missing out on something. I'm sure there's a good word for it, but the best word I can think of is apathy not feeling particularly excited about something, but not feeling particularly down. So when you live through suffering and you find meaning in suffering, that's about teaching 
the lessons you've learned. So again, it can go back to giving, doing, creating. Where you're sharing your experience of your lowest lows and how you got through them. That is meaningful experience. But truly the final final piece of that is if your back's against the wall. If you cannot create, you can still find meaning. You can still find meaning in your suffering. All you have to do is decide what the story is. He gives many examples in the book about how people lose loved ones and they struggle to get over it. But then Frankel is able to explain to them that maybe they they died, their loved one died, and in doing so, the person who lives takes on the grief because they died second that loved one didn't have to experience the pain of losing the the living person and i think that doesn't get rid of the suffering but having a meaning to understand why the suffering exists can be a powerful relief okay i definitely went a little deeper than i wanted to on that so let's take it back to the whole <laughs> The title of this podcast, Freakonomics. Now, for content creators, I, I'm, I can't tell you what to create. I can't explain to you the formula for being original. I mean, of course I can try and try to share what I've learned and share how I've done it. But it's never going to be original if someone else tells you what it was. If someone tells you the secret, it, it isn't the secret. But here's what I want you to think about. If you're a content creator or an artist, I want you for a second to imagine yourself as a business. And the reason I want you to do that is because I think it opens up your mind. It says you don't have to just create art. There are other avenues. For example, I myself am a filmmaker, and of course I would love to just produce short films and have that be where all my money comes from, have people <laughs> sit down in theaters and watch my movies, but that is out of the question unrealistic. But when I imagine myself as a business, I can expand my avenues. I can think about, you know, creating a podcast, creating a second channel that's more about advice and sharing wisdom of what I've learned and experienced. And, you know, doing videography. Wedding videography, concert videography, doing commercials, and just expanding my borders. And I think that exists for every creative art. The musician can always make songs. But there are a ton of other avenues where music belongs. Same with the artist. And even the person who codes. Because that is an art form. They can obviously code for just themselves to make something great, but that skill is so valuable if it's used in a different place that may not be the most valuable thing in your opinion, but someone can really value that and, more importantly, pay you for that. When I started making my notes for this episode, I quickly realized that, of course, I don't have the answers. 
these four books that I read were not enough to teach me what the, the secret is. And I realized I'm going to have to do some hard thinking of my own to create something original. But these books really provided a, a great framework. But the first thing I asked myself when I was making this episode was, what information do people pay for? Because obviously, I'm never going to pay for a podcast. I'm never going to pay for individual songs. Obviously, Spotify, you know, I pay five bucks a month for it. But I'm not, I'm never going to revert back to the old iTunes model. And I don't think anyone else is. I will rarely pay for a movie. Now, I'm not saying I do this. But anyone can pirate a movie online. It is not a challenge. Anyone without any coding or hacking experience can find whatever movie they want for free if they really try. So, again, what do people pay for? People will pay for specific customized information. People will pay extra to be a part of a, a Q&A group of a creator or influencer whose opinions and thoughts they respect. People will pay for a content creator or artist who can provide uh, consultation on a certain aspect of that person's business. And people will pay for commissions. This is specifically true for the artists. People will always pay for the art that they want themselves. For the art that they say, oh, paint a portrait of me. There will always be a market for customized information and customized art. People will pay for live information, new information, or at least information that has been packaged in a new way. Think of, you know, networking and conferencing events. Even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, those still exist. People still pay for online workshops and online conferences and events. And as we come back to live events, I think people are going to really crave those things. Because there's a certain energy that can't be replaced through screens of when you're surrounded by hundreds of people who are feeling empowered or just feeling great. If it's a music festival or a business conference, it really doesn't matter. You're surrounded by like-minded people and there's just an energy that can't be replaced digitally. So I think that is always going to be an avenue that people return back to. The third way is being part of a, a community. Now, most communities are free, and I don't think you should charge for every community that you produce, but I think people value communities when they have to pay for them, at least up front. I'm specifically talking about accountability groups and mastermind groups. I think accountability groups are a very underrated form to monetize. Because not only does it include some of those Q&As of having that personal connection with a certain you know, influencer or content creator, it also combines that networking 
of the, the second way, that network effect where you're constantly surrounded in either a group chat or just a, an occasional Zoom call with like-minded people who can give you solid feedback if it's a creative accountability group or an entrepreneurship accountability group. And we need people to lead those groups. We need people to lead the piece and kind of steer people in the right direction. We need teachers that people pick that aren't given to them by the, the public school system. People want to choose their teachers, especially because we know the people who get a degree in education aren't always the smartest in the field. And that's not a diss on teacher because I think they're teachers because I think they're very valuable. But I just think that there is a need for teachers that are picked by people. The the fourth way is professional quality for a, a business. So whether that's videography, copywriting, web design, and this kind of goes back to the first point. But doing things specifically for other businesses, and I think what we want to see, maybe not for copywriting, but definitely for art and videography, what I want to see in the culture is creators who make things for businesses, but they do them with their style. Obviously, there's always going to be some form of compromise, which is why there's always going to be a need to just create art without any thought of profit, but having this like hint of your style in any work you do for other people, not only will it make their advertisements and you know whatever they're using that for more unique, but I think it also empowers you and makes it feel like you aren't giving up something, that you're not giving up creative freedom. Now, the fifth way that uh, of, of stuff people will pay for is tangible, well-packaged information. And it doesn't always have to be information in the classic sense. It can sometimes just be something collectible. It can sometimes just be an art print. Now, I, I consider that information, but I can see how that definition could be a little murky because I think we often think of definition of, or of information as just you know, stuff I can learn from. But I have three art prints in my room that I paid $50 for each. And yeah, that may sound absurd to some people. But for other people, they'll say only three, only $50. We like collectibles. We like tangible information. There will always be a market for people who buy books and not books on Kindle. Because they like the feeling of paper. They like having a bookshelf and being able to kind of subtly brag about it without words. And I think that's hard to replace in the digital age. And I would love, I would love to see something like that in the digital um, world. And I think we see it with some of the kids' games like Club Penguin and something even like Clash of Clans. You can customize these bases and your rooms and I think that that is becoming something valuable that people want. They want to show off. And I think, yeah, people will have ways to do that in the digital world. But for myself, and I imagine I'm not alone, 
there will always be a desire to have tangible things to show off, to show your interest, to show your personality through your environment. The next way is the promise of a return on investment. Courses are becoming way more popular. Workshops are becoming way more popular. And they can be scaled indefinitely, infinitely. We're starting to kind of see this blurring where there are so many companies, lynda.com, Skillshare, and (laughs) there are plenty more. But they're all kind of blending together. And I don't think any one of them really stands out anymore. But I think what that shows is that there is the desire, there is the economic incentive to create courses that people pay for. People pay for well-packaged information. And people pay for um, some sense of accountability. And I don't think you should ever give that away for free. You know, you can always give content away for free. But to package it up in this way that says day one to day seven, you will get from here to here. People should pay for that because if they don't, they won't value it. And the final way is the most obvious, I think, for content creators to who don't necessarily monetize their videos with, you know, YouTube ads, because that is another way, but that's not what I wanted to talk about. But that final way is using Patreon using behind-the-scenes videos, deleted videos, and kind of giving people uh, shout-outs in the end credits. People will eat that up because true fans want to consume everything they possibly can. Raving fans want every scrap of work you've ever made once you've won them over with your best. I truly think, and I made a, a video about this a while back called the, the buy-in, but I truly think people, once you've sold them, they desire every ounce of thought and creativity that you have to offer. It's like, I don't want to call it an obsession, but it practically is. And I don't think that's bad because for the most part, it's it's not unhealthy. Having a Patreon, subscribing to someone on Patreon is not unhealthy, but it just proves that you really care about the the creator. There's a personal touch to that. That's all the stuff related to, you know, information that you might pay for if you are already a content creator. And obviously the other thing I didn't mention was kind of, you know, merch. But I think that goes along with the the tangible, well-packaged information. People will want shirts or hats if they really care about the brand but i think you can get creative with that for example there's this channel on youtube called after school and one of the unique things that they did was they wrote a children's book now their videos are basically animated whiteboard drawings and they take famous monologues from great important speakers and they kind of animate them and it's really fun to watch but what they did that was so unique is of course all their videos are for free but they made a tangible 
children's picture, picture book. And the reason, I'm not exactly sure of the sales, but I imagine the reason it will sell well, it has sold well, is because they've already won over their audience. Subscriptions and followers are becoming kind of like a pre-sale. Where in the past, if you wanted to start uh, a clothing company or a certain technology company, you might want to get pre-sales to see if it's even worth kind of creating that in the first place. Or you might create a mock-up but not buy the final product. But now I think we can do that and still create something valuable. Kind of the way we went over pre-sales is by creating the original content that we want to create. And I think that's amazing. I think if we really realize where we're at right now, it's a gift to say that the way that I'm supposed to win people over, the way I'm supposed to make money is by making the art I really want to make. By making the content I've always dreamed of, by telling the stories that I really believe and love to tell. And I think that's so valuable. The next thing I want to talk about, which I do not claim by any means, is the six human needs. This is very similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it was created by Tony Robbins, and I think it relates really well to this idea of monetization. And if you're a content creator, what aren't the, not the steps, but what are the avenues you can take? So to briefly explain what the six human needs are, it kind of starts in the middle of the circle. Imagine it like a target. So the bullseye is certainty. A little bit outside of that is uncertainty. A little bit out, outside of that is significance. Outside of that is relationships and connection. Those are the first four. We will always find a way to meet those needs. Then the next two aren't always things that we find, but they are way more valuable. So the, the final two are growth and contribution. And I'll explain those each one by one, explaining how they relate to being a creator and what you can offer to your audience. So certainty. Everyone craves some form of certainty. No matter what it is, even if it's as simple as certainty that the next breath I take will be there. The certainty that the ground won't fall out from under me. What certainty does is it lets you kind of go on autopilot in, in some areas of your life. And that can be a good thing because then you can focus on the things you actually care about. So if you were a content creator, the certainty you should offer is both in what you produce and the quantity. So make it clear and make it consistent. For example... Purple Elephant Thoughts, now that I'm doing the, the quick riffs, I will post those twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday at 8.30, no matter what, F for right now. <laughs> that may change. And the content, 
you know what you expect when you go on my channel if you've seen a video before. They're, they're little rants. They're nothing special in their visual aspect. But I promise that they provide value or else I wouldn't make them. And I think you can apply that to yourself any way you see fit, even if you don't make videos. The next thing is uncertainty. People crave some form of uncertainty. There's a reason you can't make the same video twice. There's a reason that sequels never do as well as the original, with some exceptions, and just in, in big movies. I think people always crave, even though you have this certainty in your, um, let's call them your playlists. You know, if I have a quick, quick riff folder, all those should be certain that they are quick riffs. But people kind of crave new things every once in a while, or else they get bored of the monotony. So that might mean creating a new type of video. For musicians, it, it might be releasing a new single or an EP instead of doing an album every two years. And of course, that's easier said than done. I don't know how to make music, so <laughs> take that as you will. The next thing is significance. Everyone wants to feel significant. I think it's easy for creators to feel significant if they're honest about their work, if they're vulnerable. They can say, I'm making this when everyone's too afraid. So it's easy for creators to find significance. But I think it's harder to give significance to your audience. But I think if you want them to care about your brand and stick with you through thick and thin, you have to make them feel significant. Now, one way to do that is, let's say you're a, um, a YouTube channel that talks about stocks. People watching that will feel significant because they feel like they're getting an up on everyone else. They feel like because they're watching this, because they're getting this information, that they're learning stuff that no one else is learning. And that is significant. And now you can sub out the word stocks and finances and replace that with literally anything. Replace that with playing guitar or writing short stories or blogging or web design or design in general. Replace those words and make your channel about something that when people watch it, they'll feel like they're getting a leg up on everyone else. And again, that can also be creating those Q&A opportunities. People feel significant when they get to ask the questions or when they get to submit a video idea to you and say, hey, I have this cool idea for a, a thoughts video. Give them that sense of inclusion. Give them that sense of significance. And I think that will get so many people on your team. The next thing is relationships slash connection. Everyone wants a sense of connection. And I think the, the easy example for that is, you know, just the mastermind groups that I mentioned before, the accountability groups. Creating a, a Facebook, a private Facebook group that it's invite only. People can feel both significant and feel a sense of connection, community in creating something like that. But it doesn't always have to be something exclusive. Now, I know a lot of kind of 
gamer YouTube channels, they create that community. They call their audience, you know, whatever the term may be, but just like gamer heads and, you know, sub in whatever username is for the, the big creator. People crave that sense of wanting to feel connected and wanting to feel a part of a community of like-minded people. And I think it's your job as a creator to specify what you, what your channel is about, what your themes are about, so that the people who agree with those themes and who feel value from listening to them will stick with you and feel a connection and feel a community. The next thing is growth. Everyone wants to feel like they're growing. If you're not growing, you're dying, the saying goes. I think there are a couple ways to go about that. Obviously, there's the free, the free way. Giving that information to your audience for free is, you know, sharing wisdom and sharing stuff that you think is valuable to them. They can feel like they're growing from watching your channel. The next way is to make paid courses. If you're an artist and you teach someone a certain technique in drawing or using a, a new medium that hasn't been done before, people will pay for that if they feel like they're growing from it, if they feel like they're going to get a return on their investment from it. And that doesn't always mean money. It can sometimes just mean skill. And the other way is give people an opportunity to sponsor you. If you are selling a product, let's say clothing, make it clear and make it specific that when people pay for it, they're supporting you. They're supporting your channel. They're supporting your brand. It's almost like they're sponsoring you. When people pay, when people buy a stock in something like Apple, they feel like a partial owner. And I think when people sponsor that, they feel like they're helping someone else grow. And again, that goes back to the, the man's search for meaning. It's that experience, that emotion of their contribution, their emotional support is providing someone else with the opportunity to do more and create more. And the final piece is contribution. And that kind of touches on the last thing I said, where like giving people an opportunity to sponsor the videos or just make it feel like they're helping the channel grow. That gives them a sense of contribution. But I think the other way, the other free way for the creator, what they can do for free, is make a mission and make it clear. You know, businesses have mission statements. But I think creators are kind of forget about that. They, they don't think it's valuable because they think business, industrialist, boring, boring, boring. I'll just make the art I want to make. But I think when you don't make your mission clear, people don't know if they're in or they're out. You know, my mission is to share with the world, to show the world that, you know, creativity, storytelling, those are the, the valuable skills of the future. That's what you need to learn. Don't waste your time trying to get a middle management job. Give yourself permission to be creative. That's what I want to share with the world. And the other thing is for the creators, I want to show 
give hope, give realistic expectations for how to, you know, live making the art you want to make, or at least making the, the sincere intent, attempt. Here's something I want you to imagine. There's a term called the Dunbar number. And that was kind of realized by an anthropologist who said, the max amount of people that you can comfortably maintain social relationships with is 150. And that's it. And that number is very specific. And while I think when people have, you know, thousands of followers, or even if they follow thousands of people, they don't know these people. There's only 150 people that they would recognize on the street and wave. But I think that number is really valuable, and I think you can use it as a tool, a measuring stick, if you will, to measure how many raving fans you want or need. Now, a raving fan is someone who pays money, who's willing to pay money to get more than just the free content. That they pay for the merch, they pay for to join the, the group, to join the, the Q&A sessions. I think 150 people is the number you should strive for. And here's why. I think if you do the math, if 150 people paid you $100 in a month, now by any means, that could mean, you know, they pay 30 bucks for the accountability group. They pay, you know, 20 bucks for a new piece of clothing. So they spend $1,200 towards you yeah, over the course of a year. If 150 people did that, you would make $1,800, I'm sorry, $180,000 a year. Now, I know I sound like fucking Ty Lopez, but here's, here's what I'm trying to illustrate. You don't need a million people to make a living doing what you love. It can be as small as 150. That's all I wanted to illustrate with that. And you don't need to imagine that it's 150 people playing $100 a month in Patreon. Think of as many avenues as you can to monetize. You're a creator. You are a creative. Be creative. Adding to being creative, I want to share three ideas I have for myself for Purple Elephant Collective. Now, these ideas are valueless because I haven't acted on them. And if you took them and ran with them, which I know you won't, I wouldn't care. That'd be okay. Ideas are free, or else I wouldn't be sharing it. My three ideas are one, create a purple elephant festival. Something like South by Southwest, but with less technology and more film and music and opportunities for creators to network with businesses that might use their work for their marketing, for their advertising. Two, a creator's agency, a creator accountability group. So it's combining the mastermind with hiring creators as clients. You know, teaching them the purple elephant 
strategies to stand out, to be unforgettable, to be remarkable, and also to have that accountability where they need to, you know, make all the time, even if they don't feel like it. And sometimes you need an external source of motivation to push you. That's two. The final way is film vertisements. A film vertisement is a film that replaces an advertisement, that replaces a commercial. A film vertisement is something that people click on because they want to click on it, not because you forced it in front of their eyes, not because you paid YouTube or Google for their attention. People seek it out. If you want some examples, Wes Anderson did it with Prada. Casey Neistat has done it with Nike. And my first guest on the podcast, Michael Berry, has done it with the US, with the Missouri Census. Now that's where I really think the culture can be changed. And it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to say I'm going to be able to do it. I'm not saying that people will just give me ultimate creative freedom. But hey, can I dream? Can I strive? Can I set goals? Can't I design plans and at least attempt? The final thing I'll say is if you're not willing to stand out, if you're not willing to strive to diverge from the the people in your medium, then don't even try. There is no place for people who strive for incremental improvements. We only have room in this new economy for people who are willing to diverge, not just be different, not just do the opposite, but do something entirely different, unrecognizably different. Those are the people who stand out. And I did make a video about this, and I will continue to make more about it because that's the point of my channel is how do you stand out? How do you really diverge from the competition? How do you create a blue ocean? How do you create a blue ocean? How do you create a niche that you dominate so well because you invented the criteria of success? I'm going to leave you with two ideas from two different books to give you something to think about after this podcast ends. In the book Free, Chris Anderson explains that the old model of coming up with a means of how you'll monetize, of how you'll turn a profit before you start, that's dead. The new age, the new free economy age that we live in says that because the price for producing is so low, that you need to create, create, create first, figure out what sticks, and then find out how to monetize. And while that may seem reckless, that's your old conditioning talking. Because this strategy that he outlines is the only way to turn a profit, to monetize, to make a living as a creator. It's the only way to do it moving forward, in my opinion. <laughs> because if we go back to that example of the channel after school, they could not have sold a kid's picture book without the channel. It's like the chicken or the egg. 
we know what comes first. The channel. The, the brand. The brand that stuck. The brand that found its niche. That comes before. Because what it does is it guarantees, or at least guarantees that some will buy when you finally have something to offer. Now the second piece comes from the book Blue Ocean Strategy. And it goes like this. The best way to find uncontested market space, to find your niche in a medium that is oversaturated with certain things, is to explore the non-customers. Just an example that comes up off the top of my head is, think about vlogs. Ask yourself, why the people who don't watch vlogs but watch other YouTube channels, why don't they watch vlogs? Are they not sophisticated enough? Do they not teach enough? Are they not funny enough? Find your non-customers. Find the people who are in the, the bubble on YouTube, on Spotify, but choose not to listen to your music, to choose not to watch your videos, who may have in the past liked vlogs, but outgrew them. Ask them why. Because your non-customers, the people who are so close to jumping into that niche, they have so much to teach you about creating a unique strategy to stand out. Hearing their complaints will guide you to come up with the, the new blue ocean. Thanks for listening. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.